Hi, I'm Brad Rex, the former vice president for Disney's Epcot theme park, and you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Hi there, I'm Lee Cockrell. I'm the former executive vice president of Walt Disney World, and Mickey Mouse was my boss. And you're listening to the Coaster Challenge podcast. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Coaster Challenge Podcast is here. It's time to face your fears. Get that theme park therapy and lend us both your Coaster ears. Challenge Podcast is here. Your fear can disappear. We know that theme park therapy can drive all your tears. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? Yes, I accept the Coaster Challenge. Do you accept the Coaster Challenge? We accept because you know we're not average. You're listening to the Coaster Challenge Podcast. A journey where people become fearful to fearless, all from riding roller coasters. So please secure your hats and glasses and keep your hands and arms inside the podcast. It's time to accept the Coaster Challenge with your host, Kim Dykes. Hello to our listeners. This is Kim with the Coaster Challenge podcast, and today I'm happy to sit down and talk with my guest. I'm very excited to speak with Dan Hood, a coaster enthusiast from the YouTube channel El Toro Ryan. Thank you for taking the time to talk with me and welcome to the podcast, Dan. It's my pleasure to be here. Well, well, I'm very excited to get started. While I saw you at Hollywood Nights, I didn't get to talk with you much because we were so busy enjoying the event. With that being said, I'd like to start with you telling us a few things about yourself to help our listeners and me learn more about you. Yeah, so... As a lot of you know, but first of all, my voice doesn't sound great because I'm getting over a cold at the moment, which you guys could probably tell. But anyhow, uh, as you all know, I, uh, I'm from the El Toro Ryan channel. He's been uh, 27 years old and I've in the coasters for, I would say, about the past 15 years. Although I haven't really been, I've only really been involved in the community since about 2015. And I took my credit count from, I think, 26 in 2015 to now just under 515. uh, Getting into coasters has definitely brought a lot of activity into my life. It was kind of a little spark that I needed to get out and start traveling more, which I'm very grateful for. Also grateful for all the people that have been brought into my life by the community. That's probably all I wanted to say on that for the moment. Okay, well, thank you so much for sharing that. I can make such a strong connection with you when it comes to the uh, people and the travel aspect. Before I came into the community Mm -hmm. in 2019, I was one of those people that just would always sit around and talk about places I'd like to go with some point in the future, but, you know, just always had an excuse not to do it. The money, Mm -hmm. the time, there was always an excuse not to do it. And things I figured out is if you keep waiting until the perfect time to travel, you're never going to do anything. Mm -hmm. And then one of these days you're going to wind up dead your life and realize 
I had an entire life to live and I missed it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but, you know, getting into the community did the same thing for me. It sparked this interest in traveling and going other places and riding other coasters. I remember when I first started, I actually sat down and counted the coasters I had ridden. I was at like 87 and now I'm up to 355. And I just, this traveling thing is addictive. The more friends I make and I think, Oh, I'm not going to meet any more people. Oh yes. (laughs) There's always more. And it's really funny when I'm Mm -hmm. traveling because I run into people halfway across the U S I've met at events in different places. And we don't even know the other person's there. The world just mm-hmm. continues to get a little, a little bit smaller each time I go places. And I absolutely love it. Wouldn't have it. Any yeah, at this point I can, I can hardly go to a park without somebody coming up to me, whether, well, whether I know them or not. Somebody comes up and recognizes me without failure, at least once on every coaster trip. Yes. Which I enjoy. I do actually enjoy it. I enjoy it more than I think my kids do. <laughs> we were <laughs> standing in line for Tina Call, New Jersey, back in July. It was 10 o'clock at night. I mean, pitch dark back there. And um, there was somebody behind me. Coaster mom. Is that Coaster mom? Coaster mom, is that you? And uh, my son immediately starts putting his face down his hands. <laughs> I, I turned around and I said, hi, can I help you? <laughs> Are you Coaster mom? Yes, I am. But, you know, it means so much to people to stop, talk to them. Just made, you know, made that person's day. Wanted to take a quick, you know, wanted to take a quick picture and that sort of thing. And, and I'm ha- if it makes somebody else happy for me to spend five minutes of my time having a conversation with them, you know, I'm happy to do that. But my, my kids, they're so shy when it comes to things like that. They're standing there just like, oh, my God, this is not absolutely, this is not actually happening again. <laughs> And naturally, I'm kind of an introvert, actually. And I I wouldn't think that I would enjoy the attention so much, but I view it kind of the same way in that. You know, it's not that hard to be nice to someone. It's not that hard to engage in a conversation. It's not that hard to take a picture. And if I can do those simple things and make somebody's day better, then so be it. That's what, that's what really, that's my reasoning for, you know, talking to people and doing that is the the joy that it brings to them in that moment makes it totally worth it to me. So the first part of our interview is going to basically be what we refer to on the podcast here as the roller coaster time capsule we're going to be talking mm-hmm. about your history, riding roller coasters. And then the second part of the interview is going to focus more on things about you individually, some about coasters, some about other things. 
So with that being said, we're going to go ahead and take our dive into the roller coaster time capsule. Thinking back on all of the coasters you've ridden, what is your first coaster that you remember riding? So I'm actually pretty positive this is the first coaster I've ever ridden. And that's, uh, it's a pretty obscure little coaster. Uh, Polar Coaster Storyland in Glen, New Hampshire. Rorosaurus. Rorosaurus is an Instagram user. Uh, Rorosaurus is at Storyland, which is a really good GCI Woody. That was uh, not there when I rode, rode Polar Coaster for the first time 20 years ago. But I grew up going to that park, and it's a really charming little park, and I, I definitely recommend paying it a visit. My first coaster was Woodstock Express at Kings Island. I remember that real well. It was back when it was called the Beastie. And I didn't get to ride a lot of coasters when I was little. They, I wasn't allowed to get on a lot because they were scary, supposedly. But I rode that one a whole lot because I was allowed to ride it. So looking back on roller coasters, I remember, you know, my family told me everything was scary. So I was scared literally every time I went to ride anything, <laughs> you know, that looked remotely thrilling or to me intimidating at the time. Looking back on your roller coaster riding history, what is the one coaster that has scared you the most? So I'll be honest, I'm probably the worst person in the world to ask that question. I've really never been afraid of roller coasters. I've never had difficulty riding them. Like, aside from jokey rides, like a chance to bargain or something like that, just I can't honestly remember a time where I've been scared to ride a coaster. I mean, the very first coaster that I rode with a loop, with, with any kind of inversion, was actually Loch Ness Monster at Busch Gardens, Williamsburg. Yes. I remember having some kind of I don't even want to say anxiety in my mind. There's thoughts in my mind about like, oh, riding a coaster, it goes upside down. That's something a little different. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, maybe just some questioning thoughts in my head. Uh, but then I rode Loch Ness Monster and don't feel like you're about to spill out of the ride. Like, well, I mean, you do on some modern coasters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Which... Not that I really had any fear in my head, but that probably cle uh, cleared out any fear that I had. And then I went right on right now. So, eh, suffice to say, I was, I was well suited to not be afraid of coasters. <laughs> Lucky you. I did swear off zippers for a while because I rode one when I was like eight and I was terrified. But... 10, 15 years later, I did eventually ride it again. And I, I now love birds. However, if you're like Airtime Mike and you don't like free spins, you probably wouldn't like a zipper. <laughs> yeah, I just I talked with Airtime Mike just a couple of weeks ago, actually. You were talking about those uh, chance toboggans. How many of those have you ridden? Uh, I've ridden both of them. I rode the one at Little America, and I also rode uh, the one at Lakemont before they took it out. I rode the one at Little America, and oh my goodness, that thing 
bar. I thought I had my riding position right and everything. I don't know what I did wrong. That freaking metal bar bashed me in the forehead. It made me see stars. I had a goose egg. <laughs> but I got off of that thing. I swore I would never ride, never ride one again. <laughs> Given the opportunity to get the other credit, knowing me, I probably would do it once. But um, that was not a pleasant experience at all. <laughs> yeah, the, the first chin smog and I rode. And the, the one at Lake Mott was the first one I rode. One of the people I was with actually hit his hat on the roof on that last, I guess you could call it near time hill. I would call it more of a jank hill at the end. Yeah. So, I mean, those things just aren't built to be ridden by people. <laughs> That's my conclusion. <laughs> Maybe to be looked at and recorded, I'm not sure. And um, zippers. Oh, boy. You really hit my, uh, you got my weak spot there. Tight, <laughs> fast spinning. I made mm -hmm. a grave mistake last year when we went back to Beach Bend. I've like, you know, I've conquered all this fear. And I do do rides. I will do rides that go in circles. But tight, fast circles are another story. So I thought, you know, I'm going to try this one more time. Because this is really the only thing I, I don't do. I do everything. I do, you know, drop towers. I love drop towers. Pendulum rides. Uh, really, I mean, coasters. Anything you can think of. But, but teacups. I will sit and ride in a teacup. I will not be spun in a teacup. You know, anything with the tight, fast spinning sensation. And I, I, I have gotten to the point where I can ride the free spin coasters. I do, I do, do pretty good with those now. But, like, okay, I'm going to try this again. So we got on the good old Tempesto at Beach Bend. That's those, you know, little cage rides where you stand up. Got a little chain going across your waist. Oh my um, goodness. Yeah. Biggest mistake. One of the biggest mistakes of my life. I got off that thing. I, I was ruined for the day. I couldn't ride the scrambler. Couldn't even. I got back on Kentucky Rumble one more time. I just I just wanted to leave. And I just felt so. <laughs> I felt very, my whole equilibrium was off the rest of the day, like halfway dizzy, a little nauseous. I wanted to go to sleep. That's all I wanted to do was go to sleep. And I remember embarrassed my son to death. We were standing in line at the Chick-fil-A after we left the park. I did. I, I finally got so frustrated with how I felt. I said, I, I just want to leave. And I never, anybody that knows me knows that I never leave Ever. And I wanted to leave early. So it was that it was that bad. We were in line at Chick-fil-A. He's like, Mom, what are you doing? I said, I just need you to stand here. And I was laying my head on him. I'm like, if you want me to stand here and not pass out, I need you to just let me lay my head on you 
so we could get through this line. When I get home, I'm going to bed. So after that, no more tight circles for me. Hot mess express. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm similar in that I can't really do spinning teacups. I mean, that would just throw up and nobody wants that. And same with like scramblers. Like, yeah, no. Somebody else can ride that. I, I won't. Okay, so we're talking about Loch Ness Monster. You know, being one of the rides that really stood out to you. I did get to ride that mm-hmm. one for the first time last year, by the way, when we went to Bush Gardens Williamsburg. It was one of the better running air loop, better running air loopers that I've experienced. It was a little rougher. Absolutely. When we went back this season, but it was still pretty fun. How were you feeling when you approached the station to Loch Ness Monster the first time? Uh, this was, we're talking about 16 years ago or something like that. So admittedly, I don't have the most vivid, vivid memory, but I definitely remember being excited to ride it. It's like, yeah, uh, first ride at Bush Gardens. Here we are. You know, it's, I think my view on a lot of these things, it's okay. Uh, I'm here. It's time to do it. Well, that is a lot braver stance than I had. I remember the first coaster I rode with Inversions. Uh, I, I did ride King Cobra. The first one I rode with multiple Inversions was Vortex at King's Island. And that wasn't until I was 18 years old. I was absolutely petrified and I didn't want to ride it. I was riding it because everybody else was riding it in the group that was there that night. And oh, I mean, palms were sweaty. I had cotton mouth. I could hardly breathe. Had a knot in my throat going up the hill. I'm like, I just don't know if I can do this. And then after I got it off of the ride, I thought back to all those times and all those my family had told me that, uh, you know, the coasters were so scary and dangerous. And my immediate reaction was, I've been living a lie. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and then I wanted to die. You wanted to do it again. That was the first, you know, first taste I really got of something that wasn't just a small, that wasn't the racer or the beastie. And mm-hmm. I wanted to do, I wanted to do more after getting, having that first experience. So after you rode Loch Ness Monster for the first time, how did you feel when you got off that coaster? Uh, I think my overall feeling was, okay, uh, I like that. Let's keep going and ride more. This ride I rode might actually be an Alpengeist. And mm-hmm. yeah, if you, if you can do Alpengeist, you could, you could do almost any ride. That's a That's big one jump. of the more intense ones out there. Yes. Yeah, it, it was a big jump, <laughs> and it was no problem for me. I did it just fine. And then also did, like, Apollos later that day. Also did, like, also did, uh, what call it, a, a Big Bad Wolf, which I'm really, I feel very happy that I got to ride it. 
and Griffin wasn't there at the time, but I did ride Griffin a couple of years later. I mean, it just showed me that coasters are definitely something that I enjoy and that I should definitely keep riding them. You moved so much faster than I did. Going from Loch Ness Monster to Alpengeist, like in the same day. I rode Vortex when I was 18. That was in, I'm going to date myself here. That was in 1994. I did not get on Banshee in the same park, which was my first poster with inversions after Vortex. I did not ride Banshee for the first time until... I think it was, yeah, 2017. It was was a long time. It was a really long time. And I was scared to death (laughs) when I wrote Banshee for the first time, too. (laughs) But then, very much like everything else, after I did it, I had that same feeling you had. Let's ride more. After I would mm-hmm. let go of that fear, which you didn't have, but I had, you know, especially those first few times, I wanted to just ride more and more and more. So looking back on that ride on Loch Ness Monster, or the rides, or that day in general, would you say that it had an impact on your life in any way after riding? I would say it was... I mean, it probably planted the seeds for me being a coaster enthusiast. Mm-hmm. I think after that is when I started. I did start researching coasters a little bit after that. Like the way my mind is, I have a tendency to you know read about things that I'm doing. It's kind of something I've always done. I started wow. writing, reading about like Bush Gardens on Wikipedia mm-hmm. and stuff like that. You know, I learned who the BM were. It's like, oh, well, the same. Manufacturer made like half the rides here, and they're making another one. And you know, and then less than a year later, I went to Universal for the first time and rode Hulk, which is probably my most ridden coaster besides El Toro. Yeah, just it planted the seeds for me to become a coaster enthusiast, and I didn't get super into it for a long time uh, after that, but eventually we got there. We have similar tastes in coasters. Now, in general, I am not a fan of B&M sit-downs, but I really do enjoy Hulk. It's one of my it's one of my favorites. And El Toro was my 300th back in July. Nice. And I nice. did everything I could to make Number 300 lands at El Toro was a bucket list coaster for me that I wanted to ride for many, many years. Um, Out of the 355 I've ridden, Voyage is my number two. And I love a good, well-running, aggressive wooden coaster. And I'd heard so many good things about El Toro. We were able to get 12 rides on it when we were there. 
it was unfortunately the last day we were there reduced down to one train. So we weren't able to get as many rides that day, but um, it's currently, I've got it currently ranked in my number six. I absolutely loved everything about it. And I'm hoping now yeah, that it's that's probably about where El Toro is for me as well. Yeah. But it, it really, to me, the whole simulation of riding a wild bull came to life on that coaster. That's exactly what it reminded me of. <laughs> and um, yeah. it was unfortunate. What is your number one, by the way? Iron Gwazi. Iron Gwazi. That's, I respect that. I loved Iron Gwazi. Iron Gwazi, I think it's my number. I think I decided Iron Gwazi is my number three. Okay. And I've got Still yeah, Vengeance yeah. at my number three. I like RMC. Yeah. But yeah. my my but my whole my rankings are so mixed. Gosh, I've got Entman, I've got BM in there, I've got RMC, mm-hmm. I've got some mock rides. There's 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 different coasters from different manufacturers that have very unique things that I love about them. For sure. Yeah. But my, Absolutely. My, my favorite manufacturer overall, I would have to say, is RMC. Just because I've not ridden any RMCs that I would say are bad. There's three classifications for me. There's good, better, and best. There's not any RMC mm-hmm. that I've ridden that's been a one and done that I would never ride. Oh, I agree with that. So that's what makes it stand out for me. Okay. So with all of our, you know, traveling and adventures and trips, there are crazy moments that are inevitably going to happen when we least expect it. What would you say has (laughs) been your craziest moment on a roller coaster or in an amusement park? (laughs) Okay, I mean, I could shoot off like a little one-second story here. Um, I once got hit by a hoodie on El Toro. <laughs> it's like somebody's hoodie just came off the ride and how in the just, world? You know, hit me. <laughs> you lose your shirt on a coaster. <laughs> I don't know. Funny, but yeah. I, I mean, I also got. I also got hit by a phone on El Toro once, but that's less fun. Oh, no. Did you get hurt? Yeah. Nah. It just basically hit me like, hit me like in the chest. It, it, it didn't, I mean, it hurt, but I didn't get hurt. Uh, now, in terms of the craziest thing I've ever done as an enthusiast... So back when I was still in college, this was 2016, uh, Labor Day weekend, 2016, actually, I actually, I traveled down with uh, a couple of the other coaster idiots, uh, Peter and one train ops, Logan, who isn't really involved with the channel anymore, but yeah, I was going down to Dollywood with them. Now, I'm in New York, and the two of them at the time were in New Jersey, so basically, after classes were over, I, I had off on Fridays, so I basically drove up on Thursday, and uh, 
it basically just drove overnight from northern New Jersey to Pigeon Forge. And we slept in the parking lot of the Dreammore Hotel. And fortunately, they let us check into our room at 8 a.m. So we could actually get, so I could get a shower because I, I need my showers every day. <laughs> like if I walk around the theme park gross, I don't like that. That drives but me we crazy. We slept maybe an hour in the car and then we, yeah. But we slept maybe an hour in the car, or maybe two hours, and then did a full day at Dollywood. I don't even know how many cups of coffee I had that day. But I was just like, I had kind of a delirious energy all day. It, it just felt surreal. It felt like something out of a dream. And then on top of that, it was 2016 and Lightning Rod was open. So I got the ride Lightning Rod in 2016. Yay. And yeah. And I still think that might be one of the most incredible coasters I've ever ridden. It doesn't run like that anymore. But 2016 Lightning Rod was almost unparalleled. Iron Guazi, I think, is the only thing RMC's made that really gets to that level. Well, that gives me an idea. Because I didn't get to mm -hmm. ride Lightning Rod until it was 2019 was the first time I rode it. And I kept, I've heard It's still really good. It is, but I've heard stories that it was better mm -hmm. in 2016. It, what about you? It was. How, would you like, how would you compare the old lightning rod to the lightning rod today? I'm curious. So actually, I haven't been on lightning rod since the end of 2019. So okay. admittedly, it's a little stale, but what I will say is that you did really notice it in the first two humps. So like right after the launch and then that, I guess like the big drop. You used to get like ejector airtime on both of those. And now you get like floater. And then the rest of the ride was also just noticeably faster from what I remember. I believe they've actually slowed down the launch since when it first opened. They basically just ran faster. Okay, that makes sense. And I, I haven't ridden it since it got RMC'd. Since the RMC got RMC'd. Exactly. <laughs> okay, well, that, just, that gives me an idea. It's like so close yet, so far away. Something I'll never get mm -hmm. to experience. But I'm glad I've at least gotten to ride it because... <laughs> <laughs> reliability issues we were we haven't been yeah. to dollywood this year but we wound up going last year i'm usually when i've gone to dollywood i'm usually only there like once a year last year i wound up mm -hmm. down there four times and three of the four times it was closed and uh <laughs> thankfully the one time it was open i got six rides on it that day so that worked out. And I do look forward to revisiting next year when the new coaster opens. So that'll be something. It does look like it's going to be a pretty good family coaster. I think it's going to be great for families with the theming and everything. It's perfect fit for that area of the park. 
Yeah, I mean, you know what enthusiasts are saying about that. It's like, oh, it's yeah. a family coaster. Oh, you don't need you know, a fire chaser. Well, fire chaser always gets the longest line in the park. So yes. <laughs> maybe you do and, need another fire chaser. And this seems to be the year of the family coasters with announcements. Like Dark Coaster. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I mean, there, looking, I guess there, there is a surf coaster, which, yeah, I mean, who knows when that's opening, but. But, you know, looking back on the financial devastation brought to amusement parks by COVID, you know, and the shutting mm-hmm. down of everything, part of me was, you know, hopeful that there would be, you know, some bigger things. On the rise, but at the same time, I'm not surprised that, yeah. you know, a lot of parks are taking a step back, family coasters, you know, less money going out, and it's going to bring more people in because, you know, enthusiasts mm-hmm. are not what keep these amusement parks financially succeeding. You need, mm-hmm. you need the public in there. So... Yeah, I think that's going to bode for bigger things in the future, just not as soon as some of us would like for that to happen. I agree. And not every not every ride can be another Fury three two five or Velocicoaster. Yeah, totally. But man, it's sure exciting when those things are announced. I think a lot of people are watching. RMC looks to be heavily hinting. At some sort of a giga. I believe they intend on building one. Now, has anyone bought one? Uh, remains to be seen. I'll believe it when I see it. Uh huh. It's definitely, though, interesting to see the uh, teasers that they're putting out and what could potentially be behind that. Yeah, I, I don't think it's Wildcat. I, I know a no. lot of people are saying uh-huh. Wildcat. Like, I don't know how you would think. I don't think it's going to be. I don't think it's going to be. Ibox track. You know, like what we're we're no. seeing. I don't think that. I don't know that that would be possible. And be able to be safe. I'm, I'm sure it would be. I mean, I'm sure it would be possible. Oh. Probably be expensive. It seems to be <laughs> like I don't know what I mean. Iron Gwazi kind of. Pushes the limits really hard right now, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> With what is safely rideable, I can't imagine. Add a hundred more feet to that drop. What the heck? You know, <laughs> it's going to be fun to see when this actually comes to pass and is, is announced and is being constructed, constructed at a park. <laughs> what they're actually talking about. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I will definitely tell. So how many coasters did you tell me you've ridden again? Ah, I forgot my exact count, but I'm just under 550. Okay, so in the mid 500 something. Okay. Yeah, 547, something like that. Okay, so out of that 550-ish coasters... What is your favorite coaster that you've ridden? Voyage. 
Boyge. Yep, yeah, Boyge. You said that with such a smile mm. on your face. I love it. Also, Fury is my number one steal. Okay. Hello, fine. Fury. Yes. Voyage, every time I get to write it, I call it the Church of Voyage. <laughs> I'm getting redeemed. I divide, I've had 62 rides on it this year. Over, well, I did Hollywood Nights. I think I had 35 rides there at that event. And then I went back in July and I got to ride 20 more times. And then I was actually there just this past weekend. Now, we were with friends from that have not been there before. So I had to remind myself to focus on what they wanted to do and not just ride Voyage all day long. Because that thing is, it's addictive to me. I can literally just sit on it and ride it all day long. I got eight more rides on My it. friend. <laughs> Nice. Yeah. Um, my friend, Nick, uh, he's Coaster Odyssey on Instagram. Uh, he went to Holiday World uh, just before Hollywood Nights, like maybe May or something. Mm-hmm. He just parked it on Voyage and uh, well, he ended up getting up to 69 rides. Yes. Yep. It's going to be something I do. One of these days, I think I'm just going to sneak, sneak away myself and just go sit yeah, on it. Just see how many you can get. Long. I did, they are doing, they did announce too, they're doing a retrack of the second and third hills. Oh, yeah. In the off season. They do work on that ride almost every year. They maintain well, yeah, second and third hills. Ride. They maintain it so well. I did notice, and I mean, like for me, it was barely noticeable from the rides at Hollywood Nights to when I went back in July. There was just a, a couple of potholes, just a little bit of jackhammering coming over those hills. Not anything to affect the quality of my ride. Just a noticeable mm-hmm. change. But that park is so good at maintenance. They're yeah. right on top of it. And I'm yeah, sure and Knobles are too best. Yes. Can I, I was very impressed with Knobles when I went there this year. I was just there. Oh, okay. So was, it, was it your first time or a revisit? No, I've been there a lot. <laughs> okay. That was my first time. We, we did our whole East Coast trip back in July. And I was honestly shocked. At the level of maintenance on those coasters, I got I saw that you know big old behemoth structure of Twister. I was almost mm-hmm. bracing myself, like, oh geez, how bad is this going to be? And it was great. This is going to be like mean streak. <laughs> yeah, and it, was, it ran very well. And uh, flying turns, they're the bobsled. I was th- I was having flashbacks of Lobby Bora <laughs> from Six Flags over Texas. That was a rough one. Oh no, no. I don't want my back <laughs> on that one. Flying turns the thing was so smooth and it went really fast too. I was absolutely blown away with the quality of the rides. We're just you know a little 
independent establishment like that. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, you know, uh, kind of the Canoe family made their money, right? Tell me the story. Oh, a, a lumber business is how they made their money. I think you're, you're probably putting together how they maintain their rides. <laughs> okay. Well, that makes a whole lot of sense. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't like wooden coasters. Okay. Yeah, like, if you actually look, if you look closely as you're driving into, uh, into Knobles, you also see a uh, Knoble lumber, whatever they call it. Drive right past it and, yep, same Knoble. Wow, that is not something I knew, but now that you told me that, because the quality of their rides really do stand out. With as many parks as I've been to, that one was a very, that was very much, I would call it a, a, a sleeper hit. Not, I wasn't expecting <laughs> the experience that I had over there. Yeah, it's the only park that I know of that is anything like Knobles is Lagoon over in Utah, which isn't really one you would expect, but Digi Parks actually give me a pretty similar vibe. But really, not any other park like Knobles in the U.S. Very unique not, vibe. Lagoon is not one that I've been to. It's one that I hope to get to possibly next year. Yeah, it's a great park. I I walked away very impressed. Awesome. So you said that Voyage is your favorite number one coaster. Out of all those coasters that you've ridden, what is your absolute least favorite coaster? One and done. Do you have any of those? <laughs> Oh, there's a lot that I can name. <laughs> I've got several as well. I mean, the thing with me is I'm kind of a masochist, and I, if a coaster's that bad, it's usually not a one and done. I'll usually ride it every time I go. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm just gonna, we're just gonna have the list of shame here. Uh, Green Lantern at Six Flags Magic Mountain, Zaxton, awful. Time Warp at Canvas Wonderland, the Zimperl Valer, also garbage. Uh, Super Flight at Rockland is another Valer, not much better. Although I don't remember the one at Coney Island being bad. Um, other bad rides. Oh, Wildcat at Lake Cottonwoods, laughably awful. Like, no matter what they do to that thing, it always is horrendously off by the end of the season. Like, I, I heard they're doing some retracking to her, did some retracking since the last time I rode it. I know it's just going to be horrifically rough next time I ride. No matter what they do, they cannot fix that ride. My eraser at Darien Lake is another bad one. And I don't necessarily, I don't usually mind SLCs that much. Oh, that I one's do. bad. <laughs> yeah, that one's like... So, what it is, you, you look at that train, I mean, that park was owned by Premier Parks for a while, the same people that own Magic Springs, or that operate Magic Springs, that operate uh, 
Alich Gardens. They had Dairy Lake for a while. Worst theme park operator in the U.S. But they had one train for Mind Eraser. And you could tell it was just a bunch of other trains just strung together. Like there were, what, some parts of like, some of the cars were blue, some of the cars were red. Like you could tell in the world, the trains, <laughs> they just combined in one. <laughs> and it, one size yeah, fits all. Say that's probably, yeah, well, one size fits all. Like, that never works very well. And Mind Eraser at Darien Lake was a good example of that. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, like all the coasters there were on like Perma one train apps because they just they only had one train. Don't get me started on Premier Parks. Garbage company, but anyway. Yeah, I would say those are oh yeah, also the Pinfari one of Keensburg. Garbage. Mm-hmm. But that rounds out my list of shame. Um, some of my absolute worst ones come to mind when I think about it. My number one worst coaster of all time, this is hilarious, was just actually over Labor Day weekend. We were doing it. We did a credit chasing day when we were in Illinois. And we went to Grady. Great, Epic Grady's. There was this kitty coaster. I mean, this was the absolute smallest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I I didn't think they looked credit. But me being me, I'll always ask. And they let us get on it. So the question was, okay, they said we can ride. How can I get in this thing? They were so small. I had to sit sideways. Just to sit in the oh seat. Yeah. And they took this thing around like 20 freaking times. It put bruises on my <laughs> shins. I was literally, I was yelling. I mean, I'm one of these people. I'll, I'll laugh or whatever just to get through it. I was yelling, ow, ow, like, make it stop. Oh, <laughs> right. And it just kept going around and around. Around. Oh my god. So yeah, that, that one hurt. Um it actually reminds me uh, the first time I went to Fun Spot Orlando when I rode their kitty coaster. Uh I was there to get the credit. I was it was like eleven thirty PM or something like that, or eleven PM. It was during like their evening special. Mm-hmm. And you know, I got on the kitty coaster and it was also like another woman and her child. And yeah, I was there in the back row like an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, they were like sending us around and around and around. And eventually I started counting because okay, they're sending us around a lot. I want to see how long this goes on. After seven, it stops. And then they started the ride up again. <laughs> I guess it automatically stopped after seven. But then we did seven more, and then we got 14 total rides. And the only reason we got off is because the mom was kind of sick of the ride. (laughs) I was just, I was ready to see how long that was going to go on, though. You know, you're talking as far as the trash list of coasters. For me, 
just about every single SLC that I've ridden. If they knocked it down tomorrow, I would celebrate. T3's bad, but Thunderhawk, but Michigan's Adventure, that thing nearly severed my arms when I rode it. I've never Ooh. felt shoulder pain like that in my life. I thought head banging was bad. And Ooh. circulation getting cut off in your legs was bad until I felt that shoulder pain. So yeah, those those could go away anytime and I'd be happy. And I'm not a big fan either of boomerangs. I mean, what was it? Jolly Rancher, Six Flies Adventure. With the vest restraints, it was a little better. But most of those boomerangs, I have to just, I think part of it is my height. I have to just be, I have to really ride tense and keep my head a certain way, or they just want to beat the crap out of my, you know, box my ears and stuff, and it hurts. Right. And I'm really sensitive to migraines. And if I get a migraine, it just messes up my whole day. But, you know, talking about kitty coasters, they're talking about kitty coasters too, and the crazy things enthusiasts do. I'm one of those that will. If there's credit in that area, if there's a way for me to get on that coaster, I'm going to get on that coaster. And I think <laughs> the most uh, silly thing I've done, we were at Worlds of Fun, and they had a kitty coaster. And Black, the, you were. The, the day, yeah, the day we were there, the, one, the day we were there for our visit, it was closed the whole day. So before we left town to come back home, I'm like, let's just go back by the park one more time and see if it's open. Well, it was. We got there and it was open. But daggone it, you've got to have a little kid to ride. I'm like. That's, that's a new rule. We're not leaving. Yeah, this was last year. <laughs> we're not leaving. Give, my kids looked at me like, are you serious? <laughs> yes, I am. I'm not leaving. So I just started walking up to random people. And I, <laughs> I got a kid to ride with me. Someone said, no, we'll just move on to the next contestant. Okay. And so I did. I got somebody's kid to ride with me. And I got somebody to ride with my son's friend, Lincoln. Somebody to ride with my daughter, my boy, this one still burns my son because he let his friend go first. When it was his turn to ride, we got a kid to ride with him. The stupid thing broke and was shut down again <laughs> the rest of the day. They're like, oh, this Blackie ride wasn't... What can break? They said, they said this wasn't even supposed to be open today. And so my son didn't get to ride. <laughs> but that's Okay. We're going back to Worlds of Fun next year. I want to revisit Silverdor City. So while we're down there in the area, we're going to go back. Because they're going to have the new coaster anyway. And I'm going to yeah. see what I can do to get him on that coaster. <laughs> I don't know what entertainment I find in this stuff. But to me, it's kind of like, it's just kind of like the thrill of the chase. There's a coaster that has got to be a way to ride it. I've just got to find a way to make this happen. 
Yeah, I, I still haven't gotten on Junior Gemini. Although, uh, the Kitty Coaster at Lake Compounds, that is one of the ones that you are you are supposed to have a kid with you to ride. Yeah. But we just kept pulling the... Basically, when I went there, I would just, with my group, keep pulling the enthusiast card every time I went there until I got somebody to let me do it. Eventually, somebody uh-huh. let me do it. Yeah. <laughs> and it was... In fact, I, I found out later it was my 200th steel coaster. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's sort of milestone there. That's funny. Speaking of milestone, that was my 350th. Was you know those, that's a mini <laughs> milestone. My 350th was at Grady's. It wasn't the kitty coaster; it was the other dragon wagon they have there. That's that's quite an accomplishment. <laughs> I didn't even. I knew I was going to hit 350 somewhere on that trip. Grady's wasn't even a place we planned on going. We just wound up. We wound up a little bit ahead of schedule that day. And the weather at Great America was looking questionable that night. So we just started digging around, like, where else can we go? Do we have, is there any place else to go? Is there, do we have time to get anywhere else? And Grady's is just where we landed. <laughs> so that's where my number one worst of all time took place and 350 <laughs> all in one evening <laughs> nice long story short we weren't bored i'll leave it at that <laughs> anything but okay so now we're going to exit the roller coaster time traveler machine and we're going to talk more about you dan the man Yes. Tell me about your history with the El Toro Ryan YouTube channel. How did you become involved and what have you contributed? All right. So now a lot of you, I'm sure, know uh, Ryan is actually one of my real life best friends. We're very good friends in real life and that's how I'm involved with the channel. I've known him since about 2016, so it's been about six years now. Okay. We've taken like long trips together and all that jazz. Stayed over mm-hmm. at his house. Uh, he kind of started filming these coaster vlogs and really he wanted them to be kind of a slice of life. Just, I mean, I like to think that we're pretty fun to be around at theme parks. So Ryan just started basically running the camera while we were at theme parks and Capturing very antics. I mean, some of it we play up for the camera. We're actors. I mean, we're we're playing stuff up for the camera a little bit. Um, we're just kind of doing stuff on the fly. Brian doesn't really tell us to do anything in particular usually, and we're all friends with him or friends with somebody else in the group. So have you just appeared in his vlogs or are there different things that you've done for the channel as well? For the most part, I've really, I've kind of just appeared in the vlogs. Okay. Now, behind the scenes, like, you know, Ryan has a crazy amount of work for his channel. His contributions to the channel are much greater than anything that I contribute. Uh, 
I've done like little things here and there. Like, you know, like when I tell a joke during a video, a lot of time it's it's my joke. I write my own jokes. So I guess that is one thing that I, I do contribute to the channel. And I also give Ryan support and advice, as friends often do. Mm-hmm. Where maybe he's looking for an idea for a video, and I'll if he wants like, feedback on like how a joke should be edited in the Coaster Idiots video, or yeah. how to spin something. I'll do that. Like I've sat down and you know kind of edited videos with him a little bit and given him some ideas on how to edit certain things in. But and that's even probably giving myself a little too much credit. There's a reason he has the channel and I know. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, he's a super nice guy. We didn't know he was going to be at uh, Six Flies for Adventure when we were visiting back in July. Mm-hmm. And the world was just so small. My Our executive producer for the podcast, Andrew, was actually meeting up with Ryan. I think it was just like a week after our trip. And we ran into him at Six Flies Great Adventure. And he was just so open, laid back, easy to talk to. Yep. I really enjoyed meeting him. You know, some people, when you try to talk to them or whatever, you know, you kind of get that awkward, like, I don't know what to say, you know, that's kind of thing. It was nothing like that. Nothing like that with him. He really took the time to uh, stop, talk with us, get to know us a little bit. And uh, it was a very positive experience. Yeah. And one thing that I only do the listeners this podcast is this is from, of course, my perspective, somebody that's known Ryan a long time. But yeah, Ryan is the person he portrays in his videos. I, mean, oh, I yes. think we're all kind of we are ourselves on camera. We, again, we we play things up a little bit to be funny for, for the likes and the views, but you know the the people that we seem like in the videos are a lot of that's the people who we really are for being ourselves. And that came across as clear as the nose on my face, you know. When I met him in person, that's a ty- that's a level of positivity that you can't fake. He's the real deal, <laughs> very genuine, and I mean, immediately put us at comfort and ease when we were around him. I talked to him five minutes like I'd known him my whole life. <laughs> he's he's that he's he's that type of person. So we were talking earlier, you know, about the coaster community and, you know, the fact that yourself, Ryan, you know, very positive influences in the coaster community. We're talking about, you know, I'm glad you think so. Yes. There's a, you know, we were discussing there's a lot of negativity that tends to float around certain portions of the coaster community as well. What is it that you strive to bring to the coaster community, you know, that keeps you motivated to stay involved. Yeah, so kind of segueing from that. Um, what I try to be in the community is I, I do try to be a positive influence. 
I mean, obviously, myself a comedian. I'm not a comedian. Uh, you should laugh at me for calling myself a comedian, but, you know, I humor is the main thing that I, I do on my page. But just try to be as positive as I can be with that in mind. Uh, it's not to say you should do everything that I do in the Coaster Idiots video. It's, we call it Coaster Idiots for a reason, but I just, if I see a fan, I try to treat them well. If somebody DMs me, I try to be engaging. I just, I try to be my genuine self as much as I can be. And just also remember that I, I am representing Ryan's brand to a degree. So just kind of use my platform to spread as much positivity as I can. That probably came out very not concise. I had something thought out and I have ADHD and then the bullets were just, oh, got to check this one off, check this one off, check this one off. <laughs> I totally get that. Uh, both of my children have ADHD and yep. uh, as I get older too, I don't know if it's ADHD or what it is. I'll have a thought in my brain. I want to say it. I have to remind myself not to interrupt the other person that's speaking when I think of it. Because I don't want to be rude. It's not like that. It's not like what the other person is saying isn't important to me. It's I'm afraid I'm going to forget it if I don't say it right now. <laughs> yep. It's sometimes I, I, I can relate. Sometimes I do. And I'm like, where did that thought just go? It was so good. And I have no I idea. Know. I know. Believe me, I, I know exactly what you mean. And just my brain is always just jumping all over the place. Mm -hmm. You know, and when I'm doing interviews like this, sometimes I have a little trouble telling a cohesive story. And it's actually kind of a good segue into another thing I wanted to talk about, which. Well, neurodiversity is definitely something I've been thinking about a lot recently. And there's definitely a lot of, you know, not a secret that people in this community tend to be a little different from most people, which is fine. Like I have ADHD and eh, maybe, other, maybe other stuff too, but it's neither here nor there. But I have ADHD and that kind of makes my brain fundamentally function differently from the way most people's brains function. And other people in the community struggle with things like autism, depression. Well, I struggle with depression, yes. anxiety. Well, me too. But mm -hmm. lots of stuff going around in, in, in the community. Just generally speaking, these fandom communities have a tendency to, you know, attract a lot of troubled people, so to speak. It's a bad way of putting it, but believe it or not, like naturally I am a bit of an introvert. I've, I have always had trouble. Uh, I've always had trouble with social interaction and you know, I always kind of lean shy, lean introverted. And this kind of exposure has definitely given me something a little different you know because growing up I was not really the popular guy in school I was 
I was only quite a bit in middle school because, you know, I was kind of weird, kind of awkward, kind of annoying, I guess. And, you know, I was a social outcast for a long time. And it definitely got better in high school. But I don't feel like I really broke out of that until my adult life. So that's something I'm always very, very sympathetic to. It was just kind of a stream, a stream of consciousness there. So bear, bear with me on that. <laughs> no, you're fine. I couldn't agree more. Um, neurodiversity, I think, is a huge deal. That I know when I was growing up, if you had that, really that hits me on a personal note because mm-hmm. I grow up, I grew up with a mentally ill mother. And mental Me illness too. runs mental illness runs down my mom's side of the family. My mother, mm-hmm. we did not Me know. Too. We didn't know for many years. I was I was raised in a real small town, less than ten thousand people. She was bipolar, but we didn't know what the mental illness was for many years. You know, small mm-hmm. town doctors trying to treat something they didn't understand what it was. And, um, you know, for a long time, mental illness was something or, you know, any, any sort of neurotypical difference. You know, I told you my son has autism. But I firmly believe autism is just a difference. I don't think it's, you know, it, I think the only reason autism is a disability is because society doesn't know how to yes, treat them. Absolutely. He has ADHD as well. My daughter has ADHD. But you know, I look back when I was a kid. I look back at my mom. And I look back at my mom's sister. She had mental illness as well. And I started thinking, you know, like, where did my son, you know, where did this autism come from? And then my brain immediately went back to my mom's dad. Like it was clear as his nose on my face. He was autistic. He was just never diagnosed. Back then it was looked at as it was shameful. You know, it was something. And I remember as a child when mom was struggling, it was something I was conditioned that I was supposed to hide, you know, not tell or let anybody know the things that were happening and what was going on. And um, gosh, I remember kids with neurotypical differences in school. They would just be put in this room, like, and you would never really see them mm-hmm. or get to interact with them. Mm-hmm. And eventually they would just kind of disappear off the radar. I don't know that they ever mm-hmm. finished school. I don't know where they went. And, you know, with my child... Heck no, he's not going to fall through the cracks. You know, I'm not going to allow that. And, you know, just bring it, the fact that there's so much more awareness today than what there was, you know, when I look at my mm-hmm. upbringing. Yeah. It's a very positive and- thing. And I think, you know, when you say bringing that into the community, too. Creating an awareness, I think, in 
many ways can bring people closer together. Like, you know, that's what brought my son into the community. That's what really made him, led him to a point of self-acceptance was realizing that somebody that was widely known in the community had autism and he's accepted and he's liked, oh, well, I have autism too. There's nothing wrong with him. Maybe there's nothing wrong with me either. You know, that sort of thing. And just bringing more of an awareness into the community, I think, you know, I think, you know, just the more awareness, the better. Because like you said, too, a lot of it isn't the fact that there's necessarily something, quote, unquote, wrong with you. But others knowing and understanding how to interact with you. Right. Is key. Yeah, it's. For a lot of individuals. I think there's just a big. I think there's a big expectation in society for people to fit into certain molds, mm-hmm. which, I mean, to a degree, there's like, there's social constructs that make sense. Like, you know, this is how you behave. Yes. This is how you, you know, treat people like decent human beings. But I think there's also things that maybe aren't that constructive, like... You know, just expectations of how maybe how you present yourself, how you choose to communicate. You know, one thing that jumped out at me as soon as you said that, that I've heard for years. And when my son, when he gets really nervous, sometimes he still doesn't do this. He wants to look at the ground. He does it when he's introducing himself to somebody he doesn't know. And people say eye contact, eye contact. You know, that's how you show that you're listening to somebody. Weird. You need, yeah, you need, you need to make eye contact. And for him, now he makes eye contact for the most part day to day when he's comfortable. But when he's meeting somebody new, or when he's really stressed, he looks away. And that's what he needs to do to be comfortable in this situation so he can present himself at his best, you know, and that, that they don't realize, you know, that's kind of a societal norm. You're supposed to make eye contact. Mm-hmm. And for him, that can completely mess up everything he wanted to say. Just, it's not super compatible with the way he, the way he's wired. Yeah. I've had trouble I've had trouble with eye contact too. It, mm-hmm. I can kind of relate in that eye contact's a little, little weird to me. Like sometimes mm-hmm. I have to make a conscious effort to do it. I think mean, because a lot of times, sometimes my brain is just all over the place. Mm-hmm. It, it's how we naturally behave, and yeah. you know, in a sense like that, you know, people should maybe be, be able to behave how they ought to behave. Yes, and not be judged or condemned for it. Yeah, for and, something as stupid as eye contact. <laughs> and for and you know, for me, like we were discussing earlier, if I'm with somebody that I know has ADHD, and they're just blurting out something in the middle of when I'm talking, it's because they're excited, <laughs> and I get it, you know, and they just share. 
they're not discrediting what I have to say. It's just excitement and enthusiasm. But as, you know, yeah. someone that's trying to fit that in a, I guess, a traditional social mold, it's rude to interrupt. You're being disrespectful. You're this or that. It can totally change the entire context of a situation. And then in, in the age of like Zoom meetings, because, you know, I, I mean, I work like a, a nine to five desk job as well. And I have to do a lot of Zoom and WebEx meetings. And in the age of that, it's also really difficult to really gauge where, where to insert yourself into a conversation. It can be really, really difficult to gauge that, especially considering, first of all, it's not 100% real time. Second of all, you're like, you're not in a room to kind of sense people's energy or read the room a little better. But yeah. I'm particularly good at reading the room to begin with, but, you know. Okay, so let's go back to talking about your involvement with mm -hmm. the YouTube channel and with the coaster community. Yes. You yes. talked about being, you know, wanting to be a positive influence in the community. Mm -hmm. What are some positive ways that being a YouTube influencer in the coaster community has impacted your life? You've brought positive yeah. things to others. What has it brought to you? Yeah, so honestly, I would say me being involved with the channel and well-known community has, has had almost an entirely positive influence on my life, which I know not everybody would say the same thing, but it's introduced me to some great people that I wouldn't know otherwise. Like Some of my very closest friends are people that I met through the community. I might not even know them if I didn't become involved with the channel. Like Stephanie, emotional roller coaster. She's genuinely a very close friend of mine. And you should probably call her onto the show, by the way. Oh, I, I I've actually she, interviewed her. Yes. Well, well I'm awesome. a terrible guest then. <laughs> oh, you're fine. <laughs> You're fine, you're fine, you're fine. And I actually see her at King's Island relatively regularly. She's fantastic. Yeah, no, she's awesome. Again, one of my, genuinely one of my closest friends. Mm -hmm. yeah, people like her, and her and I have talked about like those same neurodiversity things a lot. Like, yeah. We kind of balance a lot of that stuff off each other. But anyway, I genuinely like meeting new people. I, I like being able to kind of have a positive influence on these days well when they see me at a park which I know I touched on that a little bit earlier but well, the context I know is a lot of these people maybe didn't have the world's easiest childhood uh, or the world's easiest time in school or the world's easiest time fitting in social circles mm -hmm. and figure somebody like that I am much more likely to make their day by getting a picture with them because it takes five seconds and why shouldn't I do it yeah I, I mean I 
I'm naturally shy and, you know, I don't consider myself to be the most charismatic person, which isn't a horrible thing. It's just so I am. But what that means is I can very easily be genuine. And that's what I try to do. Awesome. And that's definitely something that shows beyond a shadow of doubt with the time that I've met you at Hollywood nights and talking with you now, you've got a positive energy that just radiates and is contagious to others around you. So thank you for that. Um, no problem. You know, we were talking about you spreading positivity throughout the coaster community and the need for that. What aspects of the coaster community need improvement in your opinion? Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> Addressing the most obvious, you know, there's a, you must know there's a pattern in the coaster community of, uh, like, you know, inappropriate behavior from adults, uh, often toward, well, usually towards women and often towards minors, which is bad. That is the worst plague that we have in our community. And I'm not going to name specific names, because maybe this isn't the time or place for that, but yeah, plenty of that going on, and that's the worst problem we have in the community. And then there's also just a general kind of toxicity and negativity that goes around. Mm. Like, a lot of people, people get crap for their coaster opinions a lot. It's like, uh, how can you not like Steel Vengeance? Why is Steel Vengeance in your top oh, 10? Stuff like I that. I could go on about that all day. Mm -hmm. That draws me crazy. Well, it's kind of funny in that I I actually rank Steel Vengeance a lot below Iron Gwazi. Yeah. Iron Gwazi is actually really the only RMC that captivates me these days. Yeah, I got the only one, but. Iron the only RMC that I think is really, really, really good. I told you it's my number one, so you're not getting any argument yeah. from me on that. <laughs> no. Oh, um, the single rails too. Wonder Woman and Railblazer, those are both really good too. I love Jersey um, Devil. Yeah, and I like Jersey Devil too. And you know, it's one thing to have a healthy debate about coaster opinions, but don't get into a flame war with somebody. No. Uh, maybe using that term probably dates me a little bit, but <laughs> don't get into oh, a flame it, war. It comes down to name calling and derogatory comments towards people, like attacking people. Like, I'm sorry, this is mm -hmm. supposed to be fun. If that's the level you're going to take this to, you need to go find a new hobby. I, I, I won't engage with people. And I know like people. And I know people that have been driven out of the community over stuff like that. Wow. It, Sad. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no more of that. And, and a lot of the stuff isn't necessarily unique among fandom communities. Like, I mean, among my other hobbies, like, I'm also a bit of an airline geek, so I'm a little bit in air travel. And uh, there's definitely, like, I mean, there's, like, problematic people in every community. Like, if you go on flyer talk forums, people are always spreading this negativity about, um, man, they, my flight got canceled because 
brain and Delta only gave me a hundred and fifty dollar voucher or something like that. Yeah. So it's everywhere. It's not just unique to the coaster community, but that doesn't mean that we can try to be better. Yeah. It's like it's theme parks. This stuff's supposed to be fun, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. So now I want to switch over to the topic of travel. You talked about yeah. that you have developed a spark for traveling since entering the coaster community, as have I. It's one of the things I live for the most. I count down the days when I'm working, like how much longer, you know, till the next break so I can go here or I can go there. It keeps me very positive in my mindset throughout the whole year. I'm a teacher. What are some of your favorite parks and coaster events? And what are some items on your bucket list that you haven't gotten to do yet? Yeah, well, Hollywood Nights, I've been there every year since uh, 2017. Okay. Uh, and I intend to keep it that way. That's, that is my favorite weekend of the year. <laughs> that is me and my element. <laughs> You will see uh, me there every year as long as my body will allow me to be able to do it. I love that event. <laughs> yep. Other favorite parks at Universal has a special place in my heart because it's really I had a little bit of a lull in coasters for a few years. Like I would say for maybe like 2010 to 2015 was a little bit of a lull for me. And 2015 mm-hmm. was when I got really into it. But Universal is really the only park that I went to consistently since my family has a timeshare down in Orlando. And we went there every year for a while. Now I I have an annual pass and I go there multiple times a year. But Universal is kind of the only park that's been a constant picture in my teenage and adult life. And as a result, Hulk kind of has a special place in my heart. So Universal is probably one of my favorite parks. Yeah, just I'm lumping both of the Universal Orlando parks together. Just feels like a, a happy place for me. I'm very comfortable there, very used to it. And I always I always have a good time there. I could name a few other parks, but I think that'll cover it. Silver Dollar City is another one of my favorites, but I don't want to go on too long here. <laughs> yeah. What are some of your bucket list items? Places you haven't been oh, to? Oh, seeing, seeing some international parks. As many credits as I have, I really have not been international unless you count Canada. In terms of low hanging fruit, I mean, Silverwood, obviously, um, mm. and there yet. Six Flags Mexico, I haven't been there yet, but then I would also love to see Europa Park. I would love to get on, like, Expedition G-Force. Um, uh, DC Rivals, if I can make it out to Australia. We actually have a live podcast episode next Monday at uh, 8 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. I'm going to be interviewing... Our executive producer, Andrew, he just returned from an international trip. Nice. He went to, yeah, he went at European Coaster Tour. So we're going to be having a uh, live chat about his experience because he's had 
so many questions. His messenger has been absolutely blowing up. People wanting details on the trip. You know, we thought, why not go live and answer the questions that people have about it? So that's something we're really excited to talk about. And that's something I'm looking forward to doing to doing as well one of these years when my kids are grown and I don't have to pay for three people to take <laughs> that large of a trip. Yeah. 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 Um, things to do. Yeah. Well, hopefully, when they're, also when they're adults, things are a little better than they are for me. <laughs> like, like in this circuit, like, I mean, with where hard. I live, it's the part of it. Like, I, I live on Long Island. I'm, I'm actually about to move to New Jersey after Philly, like in a couple mm-hmm. weeks, and. Yeah, I'm 27 and I'm moving out for the first time because housing's unaffordable. For- we, I just had the same talk with my son the other day. He's 16. He'll be 17 December. Inflation is just, he's like, mom, how, you know, this makes me scared that I'm not going to be able to have enough money to move out you know and become independent mm-hmm. and it, it, it's a very scary time for young adults trying yeah. to get on their own two feet mm-hmm. and move forward yeah i mean when you can barely afford to buy groceries let alone mm-hmm. gas in the car hey bills it's not an easy situation yeah, this was a problem before inflation too. Like yeah. out by me, um, out by me, uh, like here in the Northeast. Now, like the apartment I'm moving into is fourteen hundred dollars a month, wow. and that's like the cheapest thing I could hope to get. Oh my goodness! It's mm-hmm. that's double. Yeah, it's just, almost double my house payment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I mean. On the bright side with that, at least I, you know, at least I don't have to fix the roof if it leaks. At least I don't have to fix my oven if it breaks or anything like that. So there is that, but I'm with you. Yeah. It, you know, I, I mean, I have a full-time job that by most measures pays pretty well. Mm-hmm. And I feel like now is really the time that I could easily afford to move out. I mean, I probably could have done it a couple of years ago, but it it shouldn't be. Yeah. And housing was expensive before inflation became a problem. Mm-hmm. That's and it's not, not getting borderline political. Yeah. Not getting any cheaper. And it's the biggest thing it's the biggest thing affecting generation for sure. Yes. Well, housing, I always say it's housing, healthcare, and education. The cost of those three things are the biggest problems affecting my generation. Absolutely. So, looking at all of your experience that you've had with life, you're getting ready to move out for the first time. 
This can involve yep. facing fear, amusement parks, or in the community in general. What advice would you like to give to those who are listening? That's a good question. Uh, I would say just in general, don't try to be 100% certain of something before you do it. I know I've, I've been very kind of risk averse and conservative in living my life, to be perfectly honest. And I think definitely being pragmatic is good. But I think I've also deprived myself of some opportunities by being too risk averse. So, I mean, don't, don't make stupid risks, but, you know, don't be afraid to, like, take a leap. And, ask that girl out on a date Mm -hmm. or apply for that, apply for that job that you don't think you're quite qualified for, but you want it. Stuff like that is really how you get ahead in life. And then also just don't be afraid to be your genuine self. I mean, it doesn't mean be a jerk, but definitely don't be a jerk. But, you know, it, embrace your quirks. Don't, yes. don't try to fit into a mold that society wants you to fit in. Because mm-hmm. that just that makes your mental health worse. And you know, it does you no favors. People are, people are going to like you for who you are. And yeah, pe- people will like you for who you are. And when you find those right people, which has to be easier on the internet, it makes things much better. Absolutely. And one of the most important things, it took me a long time, years to figure this out, is not everybody is going to like you. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And absolutely. If everyone does like you, that's a problem because I'm doing things that I'm not really happy about to gain the acceptance of that many people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, even becomes, well, in getting ready to like you, maybe you stop liking yourself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I struggled for many years over half my life with codependency. Just, you know, never saying no. Mm-hmm. Always, you know, people pleaser, people pleaser, people pleaser, people pleaser. Yeah. And um, it was only when I finally stopped doing that. Oh, and it's, it's taken a lot of people by surprise. You know, I've lost a few people along the way. And that's fine. It's mm-hmm. absolutely okay. But you can't prioritize and take care of your mental health. And for me, my body, you know, I couldn't prioritize on my physical fitness either. If I'm constantly running around morning, noon, and night, taking care of other yeah. people. And never taking care of myself. So there, there has to be that balance. There has to be, there has to be that balance. And um, life really didn't begin 
until I stop worrying about what other people think. And just be yourself. And the right people will find their way into your life. And the ones that aren't your people find their way out. <laughs> so yeah, it's a win-win in my world. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you're... You know, your, your true friends show themselves. I mean, I feel very fortunate that I've had a kind of a stable group of people. Uh, for the most part, I've only grown. Like, you know, Borger, one of the coaster idiots, is somebody I've known since middle school. Like, we went to high school together. We went to college together. And we're still friends. I've known for, like, Sixty years now, yeah. you know, and most of Coaster idiots I've known for a while as well. All right, so that brings us to our last question. Yep. Where can our listeners find you on social media if they would like to make contact with you or learn more about you? Yeah. So, LSM Entertainment on Instagram. Which I'm sure that'll be in the description as well. LSM, like the launch, and then entertainment, which is what I try to do. Not always successfully, but I try. And I, I also have some stupid Twitter account I don't use, ETR Dan. And I feel like I post mostly political stuff on there, honestly. So maybe don't look at that one. <laughs> yeah, those are my two main accounts. Well, that is the end of our interview. And I thank you so much for sharing your story and being Absolutely. my guest tonight. I very much enjoyed Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to see more of us, we upload every Friday. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, all at Coaster Challenge. Links are in the description below. Thanks for joining us here today.